0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast, presented by Bet friend Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball, and we have a ton of news that I wanted to get into for today's show, starting off with the transfer portal. We have some recruiting news as well, involving one of the best freshmen in the country, as well as another event that happened off the court that I wanted to get into a little bit. But yesterday we got some big transfer portal news that I wanted to hit on right away. And that's the thing about the college basketball off season, right? Even though today is technically going to be the, de- like uh, a, a soft deadline, I, I guess is the best way to put it. Like there is going to be today, Thursday, here in May, May 11th, there is going to be a deadline for players to enter the transfer portal. And according to ESPN's, Jeff Borzello, the transfer portal window slams shut later today, but that doesn't mean it's the final day of transfers. Names will trickle out as the paperwork gets processed, but more importantly, portal window rules don't apply to graduate transfers, so those won't stop. So if you're a grad transfer, you're going to have the ability to enter the portal, not anytime you want, but you're still at least eligible to enter uh, for throughout the next couple weeks. But if you are someone who hasn't graduated that, wants to transfer, you better get your name in the portal sooner rather than later. So there's a good chance we're going to be seeing a pretty big wave of names over the course of the next few days entering the portal, and we got started with that yesterday. Also, it's important to remember the NBA Draft Combine. That starts up next week in Chicago. We have a full list of players that received invites to that, and those included two players that entered the transfer portal yesterday In Julian Phillips from Tennessee and Arthur Kaluma from Creighton. We also got breaking news this morning about another prominent player from a prominent program entering the portal. We will hit on that as well. But I first wanted to start off with Julian Phillips of Tennessee. This kid is not only a former McDonald's All-American in the high school class of 2022, but this kid was a top 15 recruit. He was the number 13 recruit on ESPN's uh, class of 2022. And I don't want to say he disappointed last year for Tennessee. He put up solid numbers, 8.3 points, 4.7 rebounds, 41% from the field in only 24 minutes per game of action. I just thought he would have had a little bit of a larger role on Tennessee last year. And I know the Vols were kind of a complicated team, especially in the era of college basketball we live in now, considering the fact that Rick Barnes, he likes playing two bigs. We know that Tennessee's strength is on the defensive end, and Phillips and his 6'8 frame really help them with that. But I think this kid is a little bit more skilled offensively than we've realized. Now, I've heard some rumblings that he's going to go to the NBA draft, and even though he entered the transfer portal, he might not play college basketball next season, but he could help a lot of teams. Two teams I've seen right away that might be interested were Auburn and Kansas state. I know Auburn and Bruce Pearl were heavily involved in his recruiting process. So maybe that's an option. Maybe the NBA is an option. We'll see what ends up happening with Julian Phillips. I don't think it's a killer loss for Tennessee. And I know that might be crazy to say, considering this kid is obviously super talented, a former top recruit, but I really like the group that Rick Barnes will be bringing back. It's not really shocking that at least one of, if not both, Phillips, and Josiah Jordan-James might not be coming back to school next year. Considering the Vols, they've added three pretty high-quality transfers so far this offseason in Chris Ledlum from Harvard, in Dalton Necht from Northern Colorado, as well as Jordan Ganey from USC Upstate. And that's going to add to a pretty nice returning core group of players they have, including Santiago Vescovi, who was their leading scorer last season. He'll be back. Jonas Adu, a player... That I'm really high on, and I think in more of a prominent role as the main guy in that front court, he could be ready for a breakout season. They'll also bring back Jamai Meshack, a really good defender on the wing, strong. I, I I'm very high on him. And we'll see what ends up happening with Josiah Jordan James. But look, I know it's easy to criticize Rick Barnes for all of the NCAA tournament struggles he's had in recent years but I think overall considering the circumstances he did a really good job last year with all the injuries Tennessee was facing you remember Zakai Ziegler tearing his ACL right before the regular season ended in a game against Arkansas and still Rick Barnes was able to lead the volunteers to the Sweet 16 they just hammered a Duke team that entered that round of 32 game absolutely red hot and when I look at at Rick Barnes and the Tennessee program, I I think they're in pretty good shape. And I know they lost Julian Phillips, but I'm going to be very high on the Vols entering next season. Vescovy, Meshack, Adu, a big reason why, along with the transfers they brought in, and we'll see what ends up happening with Josiah Jordan-James as well. He would add a nice veteran experience to really complete that core group of players. But I'm a Rick Barnes guy. I know it's very fair to criticize His postseason struggles this past season against FAU wasn't his best moment. But at the end of the day, I feel like we saw just how good Florida Atlantic was. And that wasn't even close to Rick Barnes' worst tournament losses, considering the circumstances of the injuries, considering the fact that they were fresh off a massive victory over Duke. I wouldn't criticize Rick Barnes too much for the season Tennessee just had. And I have pretty big belief in the Vols heading into next season. They should be fighting at the top of the SEC alongside teams like Kentucky teams like Arkansas teams like Texas A&M the top of the SEC I think should be really competitive next year and Tennessee will definitely be in that group. Now the other guy that entered the portal yesterday was Arthur Kaluma from Creighton and Kaluma had a great freshman year especially towards the back end of the season he played great I remember in Kansas's uh, round of 32 victory over Creighton that honestly you can make the argument was Kansas biggest test on their way to cutting down the nets and winning the national championship. But I don't want to say Kaluma had a disappointing year. He just had a very high expectations coming into the season. And it's not like he was bad. He just didn't necessarily live up to that hype. And the fact that Creighton has added Steven Ashworth from Utah state to really improve their shooting in space. And spacing. Creighton also added uh, a former top 50 recruit in Isaac Trout from Virginia, he should have a pretty big role on this season's team. So, for that reason, kind of similar to Phillips, it wasn't shocked for me to see Kaluma leaving the program. This is now the second prominent member of Creighton to transfer this offseason, Ryan Nemhart, And that was a little bit more controversial. This was a little bit more less surprising, I, I would say. I wasn't necessarily shocked, but kind of like Tennessee, in theory, Creighton could have a really good group coming back next season, right? They added those transfers, like I mentioned, and we'll see what happens with Trey Alexander and Ryan Kalkbrenner. Those are the two guys you really need to keep your eye on. Of course, Baylor Shireman, the former transfer from South Dakota State, he will be returning to school as well. So you have a really nice core to start off in Shireman and Ashworth, two of the best shooters in the country, in my opinion. I really believe that. Now, if you could add Trey Alexander and Ryan Kalkbrunner to that, I think Creighton is a top five team entering next season. Those two decisions, I just mentioned the NBA combine and that coming up next week and just how important that is going to be, of course, for the draft. But uh, Alexander and Kalkbrenner, those are going to be the two decisions, honestly, that might just be the two most important decisions when it comes to the draft coming up. Because if Creighton gets neither of those guys back, that's, I don't want to say a problem, but I think they're a back-end top 25 team. Maybe a little bit better, like top 20, but... I don't think Creighton is a top 15 team if they lose both those guys. If they get one of those guys back, okay, that's pretty solid. I think they're in good shape, but I don't necessarily know like how high their ceiling would necessarily be, especially compared to if they got both guys back. And if they were to get both guys back, this is a team that could absolutely win a national championship because I thought two years ago, and, and I'm not trying to throw any shade at Ryan Nembhard, right? I think he was one of the better players to enter the portal. I think he's going to be an absolute stud at Gonzaga. But I love the way Creighton's offense looked when Trey Alexander, as a freshman, had the ball in his hands as the primary distributor. If you remember, Nemphart suffered a freak wrist injury uh, in about February, mid-February of 2022. And at that point, many people thought Creighton's season was over. But Coach McDermott moves Trey Alexander to the point guard spot on the ball. And he played great. And we saw just exactly why this kid was a former top 50 recruit and just why the Creighton program overall was so high on him. And And he played really well this past season as well. There is no doubt in my mind that Trey Alexander is going to be an NBA player one day. The question is, when is that day going to come? Because I think if he comes back to school for one more year and possibly leads this Creighton team to a Final Four, he could be – a a first-round pick, if not a lottery pick. That's how high I am on Trey Alexander. And if you look at his stats from last season, he averaged 13.6 points per game, 4.2 rebounds per game, 2.6 assists per game, 44% from the field, and 41% from three. Keep in mind, this guy shot 28% from three as a freshman. So he improved his three-point shooting percentage by 13 percentage points from freshman to sophomore year, those are the exact kind of players you want in your program. And if he decides to come back to school, Creighton will have one of the better players in the country on their team next season. And I think the same thing could be said for Ryan runner. Now I think we realized and saw just how important Kalkbrunner was to Creighton this past season when the Jays we all remember they got off to a great start after the Maui Invitational they were looking like they were one of the best teams in all of college basketball but Kalkbrunner he get he uh suffered a little bit of an illness he was sick and Creighton lost about six games in a row out of nowhere. Like, not a lot of people saw that coming. And that had people asking, oh, is Creighton's season over? Did we just overhype this team in the offseason? But as soon as Kalkbrenner came back, that's when things really started to click for this team. And we saw just how important of an impact this guy could make on this team. And there isn't a better shot blocker in the country. I I feel like in terms of rim protectors, the impact that this guy makes is just so, so important to the team. And there aren't a ton of other guys like him. Brenner, he also improved on the offensive end of the floor, averaging 15.9 points per game, 6.1 rebounds per game, shot um 69.5% from the field. Just absolutely ridiculous. And he averaged 2.1 blocks per game. He has averaged over two blocks over the course of each of the last two seasons. And Creighton doesn't really have a ton behind him when you look at how they are setting up right now. I know they do have Frederick King, who was a nice role player for Creighton. He played a solid role for the Blue Jays last season. But again, it's kind of like what I mentioned with Alexander. Losing Calk, it would be a big deal in the sense that it really diminishes the ceiling of Creighton. But they'd still be a top 25, top 30 type team without him. That's how much respect I have for Greg McDermott and some of the other moves he's made so far in the transfer portal. But Ryan Kalkbrenner and Trey Alexander, those two decisions are just going to be so, so key to the Blue Jays and what they look like entering next season. We already know just how loaded the Big East is going to be with Marquette. They're going to return just about everyone from a team that won not only the Big East regular season title, but the conference tournament title as well. And even though they had a very disappointing NCAA tournament exit, we know what exactly Shaka Smart is building over there in Milwaukee. So they, right off the bat, are probably going to be the favorites to win the league. You also have the defending national champions in UConn, who could be bringing back one of, if not both of Andre Jackson or Tristan Newton, alongside Donovan Klingon, alongside uh, Alex Caraban, alongside Stefan Castle, the very heralded top recruit point guard. So the Huskies are going to be right in that conversation, not to mention teams like Xavier, Sean Miller. He's not slowing down anytime soon. Kim English just got about everyone back, including Bryce Hopkins, including Devin Carter, uh, for Providence, Jaden Pierre as well. They also added Josh Aduro and ticket gains from George Mason to come with him, uh, from, uh, George Mason. So that, that is going to be a, a bit, really good team for Providence next season. So, the, uh, of course you have Patino and St. John's. Of course you have Ed Cooley and Georgetown. So the Big East is going to be absolutely loaded heading into next season and Creighton depending on these decisions, could be right back in that conversation. The other transfer I wanted to mention, though, is Ernest Uday from Kansas. Now, Kansas has already lost a few prominent players from this past year's team. And by prominent, I don't even mean high-impact players, but guys lost to the transfer portal. We know that happens each and every year in college basketball. But Joseph Yesifu, he's actually a second-time transfer. He came into Kansas from Drake. He is off to Washington state. You will also have uh Uday along with MJ rice, who will be heading to NC state. He's a former uh, top 30 recruit, Zach Clements. He will be heading to UC Santa Barbara, Zebby Ejiofor. He is a guy currently in the transfer portal right now, but Kansas has also added Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, obviously probably the most prominent transfer in the portal. They also added um, Nick Timberlake from Towson, one of the best shooters in the transfer portal. So they're just opening up scholarships, but Kansas is going to lose each of their three leading scores from last season in Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick, and Kevin McCuller. So this is a move for Kansas that it's annoying, I understand, but at the end of the day, you just got Hunter Dickinson. So you have your big man for this season to go alongside Dewan Harris, to go alongside A.J. Adams in that front court, to go along with Timberlake. Another guy that I forgot to mention is Texas transfer Artario Morris, a former top recruit He is going to make an impact as well. So Bill Self has no problem with the players he has coming in for next season. Now, that brings us to the question, though, and really the second thing I wanted to talk about here is Mackenzie Mbako. This is a guy who is a top five recruit in the high school class of 2023. There are really two players out there right now in M'Bacco and Ron Holland that are Probably the two last dominoes to fall in terms of high school recruiting. If you remember, Mbako was all set and committed to go to Duke until Kyle Filipowski announced that he'd be coming back, until Mark Mitchell announced he'd be coming back. And we know that Duke is going to enter next season as probably the number one ranked team, if not number two, number three, somewhere in that range. That roster is absolutely loaded. But with those decisions with guys to come back, they did lose Mbako. And All reports are saying that Mbako is down to Kansas and Indiana. And I wanted to give a shout out to our guy, Aaron Torres. He's on vacation right now, but he's told me this many times before he tweeted it the other day. And I think people are finally starting to catch on to his drift a little bit in college sports and really college basketball, especially in this era of the transfer portal. Every move is made for a reason. So if you see a school opening up scholarships with, multiple transfers leaving and all these moving parts, you, it's safe to assume that some other big move is coming next. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. If you were to ask me, Zach, right now, where do you think Mackenzie Baco is going to end up? My answer would be Kansas. And if that move were to happen, again, this Jayhawks roster is absolutely loaded with arguably the best big man in the country in Hunter Dickinson, arguably the best pure, the, the most natural point guard in the country in DeWan Harris plus Arterio Morris, plus Timberlake, plus K.J. Adams. If you add Mbako to that group, Bill Self has really got something cooking with gas, and Kansas will be right there with Duke ranked in the top five of next season. Now, the one concern I would have about that if Mbako does end up coming to Kansas is he's not the best shooter, didn't shoot the ball great in his high school days, and the spacing with K.J. Adams at the four around Dickinson might be, a little bit off, but you brought in Timber, like you brought in Morris, and at the end of the day, you're going to have to live with it and the way that Bill Self built this roster. The other player uh, on Kansas that transferred this offseason that I didn't mention was Bobby Pettiford. He's going to be heading to East Carolina. That's a guy that kind of realized probably without Harris, he wasn't just going to be seeing a ton of playing time. This will be Harris's final season of college basketball, of course, as that uh, COVID year coming up clutch for the Jayhawks, bringing back one of the best point guards in the country. And people forget, in Kansas's round of 32 loss against Arkansas, there were just a couple of things that really had to go wrong in the sense that not only did Harris get hurt, like, tripping over a cameraman, but, of course, Bill Self didn't coach that game. Uh, He wasn't feeling great. It's awesome that he's feeling better, and he's going to be back on the sideline heading into next season. But the point is, when you look at this Kansas team, they – despite losing a lot, should have a lot coming next season. And this is a team that is always going to be in the conversation as long as Bill Self is the coach. Cam Martin even uh, transferred to Boise State. That's a guy that didn't play a ton for the Jayhawks last year, but man, the overall amount of talent that Kansas and Bill Self had in that locker room last season, just looking back is absolutely absurd and When you look at this Kansas team, the Big 12 is losing a lot, right? When you look at the teams that had success last season, Texas has done a nice job recently in the portal, adding uh, Caden Shedrick. They could get Tyrese Hunter back. That's a big decision that we're going to have to monitor going forward as well as some of the Creighton guys. But they lose a lot. Like, they lose Marcus Carr. Texas also got Dylan Dissu back, which is big. But Ron Holland decommitted. Like, that's a big deal. So, Texas, they lose a lot. You also have Baylor, I know their recruiting class again is really good, but they lose LJ Cryer to Houston. It's not looking likely that Adam Flagler is going to be coming back to school. So that's a problem right there in the big 12 Kansas state. They are, they lose Marquise Noel and uh, Keontae Johnson. I know Jerome Tang might just be one of the better coaches in the country based on what he did last year. And they bring in Tyler Perry from North Texas, which is a good move, but Kansas state might take a little bit of a step back. Iowa state, they lose a lot in Gabe Kalsher uh, and Jeron Holmes. Like, they that that's not nothing that they lose. Of course, you also add the Houston Cougars to the conversation. Of course, the Big 12 is going to be expanding this season. That is probably going to be the number one uh, challenger along with Kansas. The Houston Cougars, in their first year in the Big 12, of course, they bring in Cryer from Baylor. They return Jamal Shedd at the guard position, even though they lose Jairus Walker, even though they lose Marcus Sasser, they also bring in Damian Dunn from Temple. You know Calvin Sampson and the Houston Cougars are going to be right in that conversation. So this is going to be just a dogfight at the top of the league, I would say, between Kansas and Houston and we'll see what ends up happening with Mbaco. Indiana is the other team he's considering. The Hoosiers have had a very interesting offseason. They got big news about their point guard, Xavier Johnson. He was granted an extra year of eligibility by the NCAA. Hopefully, he'll be back healthy and ready to go on the court entering next season, but Indiana also adds Cole Ware. They will get Trey Galloway back, but this is really the first time that Mike Woodson has had to really go to work on the recruiting trail in the off season in his first few years of in Bloomington. Of course, all his real focus was on was getting guys like trace Jackson Davis and race Thompson and Xavier Johnson to head back to school in Indiana. They have been making progress under Mike Woodson. You know, they make the tournament in year one, win a play in game, get blown out in the round of 32 or excuse me, in the round of 64 by St. Mary's. Then this past year, they play Miami in the round of 32 and they lost, but, Hey, progress is made. Trace Jackson Davis will be missed. And I still believe in Mike Woodson as the head coach of the Hoosiers. We will see what ends up happening with Embaco. But right now, if you ask me, Zach, where do you think he ends up? My answer would be Kansas. So before we move on to the final segment of today's show, I wanted to share a note uh, by Travis Branham of 24-7 Sports. Today is the last day for non-graduates to enter the transfer portal. The portal opened on March 13th with 119 players, and 60 60 days later, there have been 1,724 players enter. Now, if I had enough free time, I would love to try to name as many of those players as possible off the top of my head, but I think it's pretty impossible for anyone to do that. But man, in this new era of college basketball, we are seeing it all with just how many, not only the amount of players like overall, but the amount of really good and talented players that have entered the portal and have made and are going to make an impact with their new team. I know the portal window isn't necessarily over yet, but once it is, you know, we're going to be talking preseason projections on this show. We're going to be talking about expectations and everything leading up to the season that usually college basketball fans love. You guys know we'll be covering that on the show, but over 1,700 Players have entered the transfer portal, and there's still plenty of time to go, especially if you are a grad transfer. But that gets us to the final segment of today's show, and it's been a pretty good show so far, right? Going over some of the biggest names to enter the transfer portal. Recently, also have the news with Mackenzie Mbako, top five recruit that's going to make his decision on his school soon. But at the same time, we do have to talk about Bob Huggins, of course, the coach of West Virginia who was on a radio interview in Cincinnati the other day, and he straight up just got caught saying a a word that you can't really be saying in the year 2023 or ever because it was just incompetent. It was very unaware, and I don't know how, if you're the head coach of West Virginia University, keep in mind, West Virginia, they'd lost momentum a little bit heading into last season, but they made the tournament last year for the first time since 2021. And they also have had a phenomenal offseason in the transfer portal, adding Kirk Creasa from Arizona, adding Jesse Edwards from West Virginia, adding, or from Syracuse, excuse me, adding Raquan Battle from Montana State, who is one of the better mid-major players out there, former Washington Husky. Like Bob Huggins has had a great offseason in terms of the transfer portal, but that might just be ruined now, considering the fact that he's going to be suspended for the first three games of the season. That is punishment number one, of course. He will also be required to attend sensitivity training, and he has a $1 million salary reduction. So Bob Huggins said a word that you are not able to say and that you shouldn't say, not only on the air, but really anywhere. And the thing about Bob Huggins is, I never believe that you should be canceled for just saying one thing, even if it was really bad. I think your actions should speak more about who you are as a person opposed to one mistake. And Bob Huggins released an apology for it. West Virginia did. Uh, and Huggins, uh, a quote from Huggins. I feel like maybe the appropriate response would have been hearing from Bob himself, like on video of him uh apologizing. Like, cause the thing is with a statement, we honestly just don't know necessarily how remorseful he is. And I understand that actions speak louder than words. And if this is something that never comes up again, I don't want to say we'll forget about it, but we'll be aware that, okay, Bob Huggins learned his lesson. But at the same time, you have to know that in the times we live in right now, especially when you hold that prominent of a position in not only college basketball, but anywhere in sports, in whatever business you're in, honestly, So Bob Huggins, he's going to be suspended for the first three games of the season. He's honestly very fortunate that it's looking like he's going to be able to keep his job at West Virginia. And you kind of feel like the end of the Bob Huggins era could be coming soon. He's a legendary coach based on everything that he's done at Cincinnati, at Kansas State, and now at West Virginia. But you got to be better than that, man. And he got pretty fortunate that it's only going to be a three-game suspension, a salary reduction, and that he's going to have to attend sensitivity training at all but at the end of the day it is a unfortunate situation especially for a West Virginia program that looked to have some momentum heading into next season and we spoke about the Big 12 I didn't even mention West Virginia when comparing them to Kansas comparing them to Kansas State and Houston at the top of that conference because the only thing I was able to think about when it came to West Virginia over the course of the last few days was literally Bob Huggins and that mistake he made on the radio interview. And by the way, that radio interview in Cincinnati was pretty crazy, considering the fact that the hosts were kind of egging him on. And, and as soon as he said it, it, they didn't react in any major way. They were just they just laughed it off, which is something really unfortunate. We'll see if those radio hosts in Cincinnati, if, if anything happens to them. But Bob Huggins, he will be suspended for the first three games of next season after making uh, just a brutal decision that you honestly – There is no excuse for that, saying that word, especially on air, especially how casually he did it. And I really do hope that Bob Huggins learned his lesson. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Bedford Sports. My name is Zach Crow. I'll talk to you guys next time. Everyone have a good one.